The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello, happy Friday. Welcome to Squawk Here are your headlines this morning. U.S. equities sink in September as Fed concerns spark a global sell-off. Billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman tells CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference, don't be surprised if Treasury yields keep rising. I would not be shocked to see, you know, 30-year rates well, you know, well into the, you know, through the five barrier, uh, and you could see ten, the 10-year approach, approach rising. AI supercycle. Altimeter Capital Chair and CEO Brad Gershner tells CNBC's annual investor summit the power of artificial intelligence could even trump the internet. Much like the internet in 98 and 99 where there was overpricing in the short run, we dramatically underestimated the impact it was going to have over the preceding decade. Well, the House is uh, going its own way, isn't it? U.S. House passing a defense funding bill, which, uh, if went through, would remove support for Ukraine. This, as the Senate, for their part, uh, tries to fast-track short-term spending plans before a potential government shutdown on Sunday. The House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, tells CNBC there's still time. Get off the fundraising trail. Care about your nation. Let's get together. We've been able to do it together before when we sat down. We can solve this problem. This is an actual an opportunity to put the country on a better path. Meanwhile, the auto workers union uh, threatening to widen strikes today if demands are not met as the uh, group makes a counter proposal to Stellantis. Failed Swiss lender Credit Suisse reports an adjusted six-month loss of 3.5 billion Swiss francs alongside net asset outflows of almost 40 billion francs. As we looked around to the month of September, let's just take a look at these major markets in session yesterday. Back in the green, we flipped uh, the major boards, seeing uh, some of the opposite catalysts that have been driving markets south. So we had the reduction in the oil price story yesterday, 1.2 off uh, the price of Brent, which has been heating up slowly for markets and approaching that $100 a barrel mark. And the yields also just drifted off. We were down about 400 basis points on that 10-year yield, which has been dominating some of the concerns in the backdrop, higher for longer on some of these treasuries. So the market seeing some gains, first positive session in three for the Dow, a second positive session in a row for the S&P 500, a fairly decent bounce, six tenths of a percent. And for the NASDAQ, also a second positive session in a row. A big moving names for the likes of the, the uh, Nasdaq alphabet uh, back in place. So big tech names also for the S&P. For the likes of the Dow, it was United Health that was moving to the upside. But certainly very different picture from what we've had over the course of the trading week where investors have been superly nervous. As we looked around up the, the trading week, got to say uh, this has been one of those uh, loss-making weeks again for the major broads. Nine tenths down so far before the session today on the Dow. When it comes to the S&P 500 for the trading week, slightly off, down about half of a percent. But on pace for the fourth negative week in a row so it's not been a great month of september and that's exactly what's been playing out this week as well to the treasuries 
Let's take stock this morning. I mentioned a slight drift. We got to about 4.57 yesterday. We picked up another one basis points this morning. So we remain roughly around this territory and on the yields at the short end. Uh, we're still above that 5% mark. Investors still looking for that evidence when it comes to the story that inflation is starting to cool down and that it's going to give the central banks more leeway here. But a very dominant theme for the month of September. What's happening with rates? Two rate high rate cuts next year anticipated, not four. And whether we still get another rate hike this year is closely watched by the market. To the dollar trade, it has been another firmer greenback story. But morning session, we are seeing some strength in sterling. So bouncing off some of the lows, we're now above the 122 at 20 mark. Euro dollar also climbing closer to the 106 handle. So there have been uh, some inroads made by both currencies in the last 24 hours or so. Dollar yen rates 149 still. Dollar yuan uh, we're not seeing a trade here at this point 1.30. To the WTI Brent story let's uh, just take another quick snapshot this morning. Different directions is what we're seeing with a red arrow and a green arrow we're going down on Brent prices so back towards that 95 handle a little bit of slippage but uh, still holding above 91 close to 92 on the WTI price. The Asian markets well We've got China closed as a precursor to the Golden Week holiday next week. The uh, South Korean market not trading. So a little bit of lack of liquidity across some of these key markets. To me, what was really the, the news flow out of the region was around Japan. We saw uh, in terms of the inflation numbers coming up a little bit from uh, some of the higher ranges. Uh, the, the market looking for numbers that suggest we're pulling back from the 3% mark. And we did get that closer to the 2.5% mark for investors at this point. Will it be enough? Uh, what uh, We had a 28 increase in August um, but when it came to what the uh, Tokyo numbers were we saw uh, the cost here exiting up fueled up 2.5 percent in September uh, versus a forecast for 2.6 percent so the market in uh, Japanese stocks today sentiment is a little bit weaker as, as you can see we're not getting a bounce for that Friday session Hong Kong though demonstrating real strength 2.7 percent to the upside and other major regions from Singapore to Australia we are seeing modest increases Steve. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Very well, thank you. Yeah, I think there's a lot to think about over the weekend as well, not least the fact that I'm flying to the Middle East to have a look at what's going on in the oil price. Yes, but, 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 straight but, to the heart of it, right? Well, absolutely. And do you know what? I'll, I'll pick up on, on that point about my trip. I'm off to Abu Dhabi just to speak to some of the top players in the industry uh, at the Adipec conference. And, and the reason why I think it's important that I go there and, and back Dan up and, and the excellent team we have in the Middle East is because I think oil's almost a card that we... Ordinarily, we'd be talking a lot about oil price at the moment, nearly $100. But actually, we're spending most of our time looking at the, the poly crisis. Do you remember we started this year back in Davos and, and, the, and the buzz phrase? You couldn't move the buzz phrase of poly crisis. Well, I think we are very much in a poly crisis 2.0 for 2023. Some of the crises we were talking about then are not the ones we're talking about now. And let's be honest about it. China is a sticky situation. We don't know how that one's going to play out. But that is not what the markets are worrying about at the moment. And I think it's very glib of me to say it's all about X or it's all about Y, because I think it's the, it's the general theme that actually valuations aren't that great. They're arguably not ease a great entry point plus the fact you've got worries about what's going on in the u.s government mm-hmm. plus the fact you've got worries about what's going on with federal reserve and interest rates because and again you're typifying it there no one really knows what's going on with the economy i mean the latest gdp figures i thought were interesting but i thought the household spending numbers and the pce figures were perhaps more interesting but i mean it, it's all nuanced and subtle so we don't know what's going on in the economy we're really worried about the shutdown now we're worried about european bonds yet again because the europeans 
namely the Italians again, can't control their spending at a time when rates aren't going down yet. There is no signal of rates going. Plus, and I'll just leave this as the last point, plus the point I came in on, the oil price is going up at a time when other commodities, including copper, are going down. And it's going up. Yes, there are some uh, EIA data concerns about stockpiles in the US, but let's be brutally honest about it. This is about the Saudis taking supply off the table to get the price up. So all kinds of things going on. It's funny as we've been talking about the geopolitics, the macro, there have been a lot of big themes, but I think what we had in September was really the volatility in a lot of asset prices. Just about everything was flaring up with some sort of red flag. I mean, we've had it on the Brent and the oil price on WTI. We've seen that elevation very quickly in a very short period of time. And again, back to supply issue, and as you pointed big um, question mark over it. Why is it rising when the demand story is telling us China is still having those issues? So I think it's fascinating seeing that on the yield story. I mean, what did we get to on Italy yesterday? And we knew that there was market a market sentiment out there that just didn't need to be tested at this point. We were saying it for a number of sessions in the lead up to the budget. 4.93 we got on that BTP. Yeah. So again, uh, closing on the Highest 5% mark. Right. And <sighs> we had the yields here actually disconnecting with yields in the States. So it was the day yesterday where US yields drifted south. But we got the elevation in Europe, quite in contrast, you've got to say, to where the rate story is likely to go from the ECB as well. So uh, there's, there's not the yield support for that uh, story coming through for monetary and policy. Guess what? People are still losing money on bonds. If you own a bond and it's yielding you 4%, you think, I'm having the greatest levels I've had in ages. But actually, if that bond yield then goes to 4.5%, or in the Italian case, I think even went a little bit higher. I think it went up to 496 So, you know, great Italian bonds are anchored at 4%. (laughs) But but again, I think think, there was a wonderful piece on your Twitter feed I looked at Mm. calling me a smart aleck yesterday. And and I I liked it. It was actually, I think it was a Yiddish term for smart aleck. But but I liked it. I'd never heard it before. So I looked it up. But but, but I don't mean to be, but some of this stuff is fairly obvious. Just to be clear, that wasn't me tweeting that out No, 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 no. I think you were tweeting about our breakfast. And it was a lovely photo too. Um, Which I have more of today. The same same lovely smoothie. But but, but the point is... the point I was making yesterday, which I think was I was being called a smart aleck, is it's all very well having an anti-fragmentation tool here in Europe that stops the Italian yield picking up over the Bund yield. But if the Bund yield goes up aggressively at the same time, then you're still going to have to pay more money for your debt going forward unless the ECB can come up with another plan. It's like plan. those giant stoves where people have the five burners and they all get turned on at once instead of just one of them. Yeah, that's, that's what we great. saw yesterday. I think that is where to leave it. That is a great analogy. So top investors, meanwhile, at CNBC's 13th annual delivering alpha, 13th, unlucky for some, have warned to expect cracks in the U.S. economy and risks on Wall Street, but also said opportunities are widespread too, from private credit to energy bets, AI, global stocks and resilient real estate niches. Well, BlackRock's fixed income chief is Rick Reader who said the Fed can stop raising interest rates, but probably won't, and investors should expect at least one more hike this year. Uh, He said the higher for longer stance poses challenges, but says there are plenty of opportunities as well. This is a pretty extraordinary period of time because you've got an immense amount of cash that's sitting on the sidelines that just wants to sit in money market funds. And then you're getting this immense amount of supply that's coming to the market. And today, when you think about you know, like, what is your disposition around putting money to work when you've got a Fed telling you they'd like to do more, they want to make sure they bolt down inflation, how much duration risk, how much yield curve risk do you want to, you want to take today out the curve when term premium is, pretty, is, uh, is too flat today, when you don't have enough term premium to go out the yield curve? So the decision you have to make is how do I get coupon, how do I get income for clients in fixed income and try and dull your volatility and dull your potential drawdown when you've got, you know, Fed that wants to, wants to keep moving. So 
you know, it's a, uh, it's more, you know, bull markets are more fun, but quite frankly, in environments like this, you know, how you can actually generate positive return is, uh, becomes, becomes quite frankly a fun challenge. Yeah, fun challenge. Uh, oak Tree's incoming, Oak Tree, I should say, because you didn't hear me. Oak Tree's incoming co-CEO told the event things look a little uh, too good right now. Wow, a little too good. <laughs> Warning, there's, ah, oh, here we go, yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch and that the economy and markets could see trouble ahead. I do expect, and I would expect, that in broadly syndicated loans, you are going to see elevated stress and default levels. And with the deterioration in the legal protections in those documents over the last 10 years, um, I think you will see um, uh, quite unexpected outcomes, um, lender on lender violence, um, the ability for, for uh, opportunistic lenders to come in over the top of what was once considered a first lien and priority loan. So there are embedded risks that I think will begin to unfold over the next year or two as there is stress in the economy and stress in the markets with elevated uh, rates for a longer period. So it, it isn't a free lunch. Um, I think um, I'm concerned right now in the market that everything looks quite healthy and quite good, but feels like a little bit of a head fake to me and and that the economy and the markets uh, could actually experience some trouble going forward. Isn't that what I said a week ago? Right. Well, I was like, it just just felt all too lovely and the big fat landing path for the no recession, just a mild slowdown. Fairy tales don't usually go that way, do oh, they? Well, There's more this twists is the point about terms. fairy tales. Before our wonderful, the greatest, one of the greatest innovators of the 20th century, Walt Disney himself, before he started going back into the Grimm's Tales fairy tale, actually they were what they said on the tin. They were pretty grim in many ways, yeah. with ghastly ends for many of the characters. And of course, in the Disney world, I mean, Bambi's mum or dad may get it. The mother always dies in the Disney films. Yeah, I know. What is it, about, what is it about the maternal figure? But, but before Walt Disney decided to kill off the mum and then have a happy ending, they were never happy, en- well, weren't right. always happy endings. When in this case, who's they the main They were salutary tales, weren't they, about That's what right. we do if we, we're too gluttonous or we're too lazy or what have you. Right, it's a, it's a lesson learning, isn't it? Meanwhile, the US 10-year Treasury yield eased after touching a fresh 16-year high. But billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman says he sees long-term yields moving higher on the back of stubborn inflation. My view is inflation, or kind of the house view is inflation is going to be persistently higher. Well, you are the house. I guess I control the door on the way in and out, I guess. But, um, you know, our our view is really that uh, we're in a different world. And, you know, the world sort of changes gradually. uh, And and you have a generation of people who are used to rates, you know, four sounding like a high interest rate. And and it's, you know, on a historical basis, it's an extremely low rate of interest. So I I would not be shocked to see, you know, 30-year rates well, you know, well into the, you know, through the five barrier, uh, and you could see ten, the ten-year approach, uh, approach five. He is unambiguously right. Mm. Um, we've got a whole generation that's come through in the markets, who, th- who, who and he's right. Four percent looks like a high figure, but historically, it's it's nothing special. And I know that there are lots of different things going on in the twenty-first century, and different impulses, and different globalization issues, and what have you, but. Four is not a big number historically. I mean, look at any one of the wonderful number of sources out there and look at the Fed funds rate over the last hundred years. And, and four is, it's, it's below the mean, I think. Well, history's given us some very unusual numbers too in recent years. So we were sitting around the desk, of course, when some of the PMIs crossed. 
and they were in the teens, right, in Europe. And that was uh, sort of just eye-watering numbers, right? They yeah, were historical numbers that just we went, oh, my goodness, we've tested the historical numbers and look what we've got during COVID. You get those sort of numbers in jurisdictions and what are you going to get on the other side? Well, you're going to test historical numbers as well. Even if we've had something previously in history, I think we've gone through such an extraordinary period of time and some of it with the COVID reaction with all the stimulus and then more stimulus on the back of it. Of course, we are going to get unusual yields. Let me tell some of our younger viewers what a crisis looks like. And I don't, I'm trying not to patronise, but just kind of just trying to put this in context. In 1992, I was a young, long-haired, beautiful, yeah, great flowing brown. No, well, enough about that. But point is, I was a young trader at Credit Suisse in 1992. Were you blonde? Were you not blonde? For, I, I, I've gone through it. I was red when I was born, blonde when I was young, as a young lad, then brown, and now I'm grey, silvery, seasons. I don't know. But the point is, in 1992, it was definitely unambiguously brown. And I was a young whippersnapper trader at Credit Suisse. And I, I had one property, but um, it gone hugely negative equity. It was, this isn't a flash tale about my portfolio. It gone hugely negative equity uh, as soon as I signed it on in, in about 1990. So then in 1992, I, I, bought, I bought another apartment, which, a house which I could live in, a small house. And then I had this dreadful property, which was just, it was awful. There was nothing flash about this. Anyway, so I had two properties and two mortgages and no lock-in or anything and no locked-in rates, maybe. Interest rates went to 15% in the ERM crisis. I was crying. I was broke. And my boss, who was a, a very wise uh, Frenchman called Bruno de la Brûlerie, uh, Bruno, if you're watching, it's nice to hear you from you. And he said, don't worry, they won't stay there for long. And, and he was so right. But I was, for about 48 hours, I was panicking that interest rates at 15%. And look, this is a salutary tale. I'm just saying you what a crisis can look like if we think that 4 to 5% uh, is the issue. I've also just pulled up on my own screen, by the way, um, interest rates from the Federal Reserve um, going back over 60-odd years. Just do the same, everybody, if, if you've got time. I know you're doing busy things and whatever. Have a look at interest rates over a 60-year period, Fed funds rates as well. It well, tells a story. To, to my story, eight rate hikes when I bought my first property. <laughs> uh, and then a financial crisis. Were you as crisis. negative equity as me? No, but then a financial crisis off the back of it. Yeah. But the same ending here for both of our stories, that you see a dramatic cut, though, in rates because you end up where there is no soft landing, that the Fed and other central banks simply cannot land yeah. as smoothly. Yeah. So we're looking at the same situation as everybody says, well, we could go higher on the Treasury. Well, we could. But is that just going to tank the economy? Is it going to tank the market in some fashion? And will we end up with something broken? That's a great point. Meantime, uh, Elthmeyer Capital founder and CEO Brad Gershner believes the Fed has overshot, warning the chances of a meaningful slowdown next year is rising. The market's still calling a bit of the bluff of the Fed, but I think there's a good shot you have one more rate hike because I think they're really committed. He wants to be Volcker. He doesn't want to be remembered as the Fed chair that didn't slay inflation. He doesn't want to see it tick back up, but he also acknowledges that the envelope as the pilot of the economy to stick that landing is very, very narrow, right? And so what it probably means is that we're going to have more slowing in 2024 than they want. But the reason the market is pricing in two or three rate cuts next year is because the market is saying the economy is going to be worse than you're currently forecasting. Right, let's, let's move on because we've got some breaking news from Credit Suisse. Uh, and look, I'm, I'm going to caveat this enormously by saying it's part of the pie. You can't see what the whole pie looks like because you've only got a bit of it because Credit Suisse is de facto an arm of UBS now. So we've, we've got some numbers out for them. Um, for instance, uh, what have they got? Adjusted losses before tax in the six months of 2023 was 3.5 
billion Swiss francs uh, compared to an adjusted loss before tax in the six months earlier of 300 million uh, Swiss years. Well, there's a lot in there. But what I do want to caveat is like when, when, they, when they're talking about exiting certain loan portfolios in the third quarter and it's kind of well, what are those loan portfolios going to go over to UBS? You know, we don't know what's going on. So decision to exit certain loan portfolios uh, held in NCL to result in expected loss in the third quarter of 1.6 billion US dollars. Decision to wind up certain management arrangements may result in a loss of 0.6 billion in the third quarter as well. And again, this is my point. Net outflows in the six months to, uh, of 2023 were 100 billion Swiss francs. But we don't know if those have gone to UBS or they've gone to uh, outside of the group or have you. So I think it's really interesting uh, that we're getting an update here. Again, net outflows, they're saying, asset outflows slowed considerably following the March announcement of the acquisition by UBS. And, and that's kind of my point. We're getting a part of the pie here and we don't know the whole story as well. So yes, these are interesting updates and it's important to have them. But I, I, I think you have to take it with a pinch of salt because we don't know how much of that business, how many of those outflows to inflows at UBS have happened as well and, and whether they, they're benefiting elsewhere from this. The other piece of the pie is the legal case. There's been so many of them and the latest one is uh, going to roll through the courts next week. Uh, apparently UBS, according to reports in the FT, is looking at some sort of settlement prior to this uh, with uh, the government of Mozambique. This is around these tuna bonds uh, with Credit Suisse. So it's a $2 billion story that we're talking about here and they're hoping to get to some sort of resolution before a 13-week trial in London's High Court next week. So uh, that's going to be one, the next one to worth uh, for investors to watch, I think, at this point. Um, US real GDP, meanwhile, grew at 2.1% in the second quarter. That, that's what we thought, isn't it? In line with the flash reading and market expectations. Initial weekly jobless claims rose oh, tiny, 2,000 to 204,000. That is a gain below expectations. Again, people are looking for signs of a slowdown in the US labor market, and those figures are really not giving you what you're looking for. Anyway, looking ahead, uh, more data today. The Fed's preferred inflation reading for the month of August due. Economists expect that the core PCE advanced uh, 3.9% year over year and 0.2% on a monthly basis. We'll also get personal income and consumer spending data. Right, coming up on this show, less than 48 hours to avoid a US government shutdown. We'll bring you the latest next. Plus, we're taking stock of stocks uh, as investors embark upon the final trading day of what has been, let's be brutal, a bruising September. And we're going to bring you Sylvia's conversation with the North Vault co-founder Paolo Saruti as it picks Canada as the location for its new Giga factory. Don't miss that conversation. Should we do that at 7.30 CT? How about that? That will be a first on CNBC. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Uh, welcome back. The United Auto Workers Union has proposed a new counter-offer to Stellantis just one day before the union is set to extend its strike. Talks with Ford, GM and Stellantis are ongoing as the strike enters its 15th day, Karen. 
A partial U.S. government shutdown is looking increasingly likely as the House and Senate push forward. All this uh, is key, of course, uh, for the markets as they look forward to what's happening now uh, with surrounding uh, separate spending plans, of course, front and centre. A shutdown would furlough hundreds of thousands of workers and hold an array of services. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says President Biden's priorities are in the wrong place. I look at the country today. We've, we've got people striking from California to Michigan. We've got price of gasoline $100 a barrel. We've got inflation like we haven't seen before. And we've got a president sitting in San Francisco just trying to raise more money. I say, get off the fundraising trail. Care about your nation. Let's get together. We've been able to do it together before when we sat down. We can solve this problem. This is an actual an opportunity to put the country on a better path. NBC's Alice Barr filed this report. With the clock ticking ever closer to a government shutdown this Saturday night, Senate leadership trying to fast-track a short-term spending bill. Congress has only one option, one option to avoid a shutdown, bipartisanship. But even if it clears the Senate in time, it would likely hit a brick wall in the House, where far-right Republicans are holding out for steep spending cuts and border policy provisions. House Republicans are united in cutting our spending, addressing our border security, but the Democrats in the Senate refuse to go along. Despite the standstill on government funding that could affect millions, House Republicans are moving ahead with their first impeachment inquiry hearing into President Biden, centered on allegations that he helped his son Hunter Biden profit off the family name in foreign business dealings. Joe Biden is the brand. And Joe Biden showed up at least two dozen times with business targets and associates sending signals of access, influence and power to those prepared to pay for it. Hunter Biden's former business partner previously testified that while Joe Biden sometimes exchanged pleasantries with his son's associates, he never talked business with them. Republican star witness, a law professor undercutting GOP members who say the president could be impeached today. I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. Though he does believe the House has good reason to hold an impeachment inquiry and dig for more evidence. Democrats pointing to reams of documents already uncovered. Not a single page shows a dime going to President Joe Biden. For his part, President Biden in Arizona today giving a speech on democracy, a key focal point of his re-election bid. House Republicans have indicated their Biden impeachment inquiry will continue even if the government shuts down. The White House maintains the president has done nothing wrong. He has repeatedly said he stands by his son as he continues to rebuild his life. From Capitol Hill, Alice Barr, NBC News. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.